Nobody went to school for sales. Each of us has our own journey, a journey that ultimately reveals the two opposing forces, the art versus science, the relationships versus the metrics, selling versus sales. What side are you on? This is the Love Selling, Hate Sales podcast. All right, Josh. Well, it's a pleasure to be here on a beautiful sunny day. <laughs> yeah. So wait, you said RVP and how do you say the name of the company again? It's called UAPI, Y-O-U-A-P-P-I. We do user acquisition and app retargeting. So okay. you, know, you put an order in Postmates and you forgot, we're going to go find you. So you complete the order. It's pretty simple tech, but uh, we have some, some, some machine learning algorithms. That's out of Tel Aviv. It's sort of a hotbed right now for AI and ML. And I run a, a region I kind of cover worldwide and I was doing the West, but uh, now I'm sort of virtual. So <laughs> yeah, I think we're all a little virtual right now. Looks like you've got a nice little backdrop there. Where are you located? So I'm, I'm a little north of LA in a place called Carpinteria, which is uh, part of Santa Barbara. And uh, I ran sales teams in San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. And then really already took a remote approach as I started working for companies um, in Israel. And so, yep. you know, already on different time zones. Uh, the company has offices in 10 countries. And uh, we work with the likes of Amazon and Home Advisor and Postmates. So it's some pretty killer technology. And you know, it's a, a platform for retargeting users. And so, uh, yeah, I've, I've created a strong user acquisition network worldwide to do this. And I've just become enamored with, you know, how am I going to get the meetings? How am I close the meetings? And uh, a lot of sales technology has kind of become a thought leader on really the cracking of the top funnel problem. Cause I think opening is the new closing. I agree mm -hmm. with Anthony and Arino and I've been hired by startups for the last 13 years in SaaS to, to crack that, to figure it out. I've been in sales for 20 years now. I just turned 40. So 40 is the new yeah. 30. Well, congratulations. I, I just turned 40 myself. So I'm right there with you. I've got you. The, <laughs> 20 years under my belt. Three What's kids. Your birthday? Sorry. January 29th. January 2nd. There you go. Yeah. You, you got me by a, almost a month. <laughs> well, man, well, so, I'm excited to be on the podcast. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll lean on your infinite extra month of wisdom then on this podcast to, uh, True. I'm not I mean, right. The wise. So as I talked to you a little bit about in prep, the whole concept here is love selling, hate sales, love the, the polarizing, polarizing concept behind that. And it's really the balance that we all struggle with as sellers in the field between the need to foster relationships and communicate with people and, you know, have that human element, balancing that with the need to, like you said, drive the metrics, right? Like how are we going to get people into the top of the funnel? How are we going to make sure that we're actually closing business? We're hitting our numbers and the process and all that stuff that goes with it. So it'd be great to really understand some of the things that you've done in your career. I saw, you know, a healthy list of uh, sales leadership roles there on your LinkedIn. Yeah. So talking about some of those things that, you know, you're doing to make sure that the metrics happen, but you know, you balance that with your sellers who are wanting to have, have a conversations with people. And Yeah. So I'm a bit of a maverick in the way I approach sales, but, I read this book by Jason Jordan called Cracking the Sales Management Code, where he talks about there being over 300 metrics in Salesforce, and the majority of them are lagging indicators or static right. indicators. The revenue is, let's all get in a room and bark revenue. Well, we can't <laughs> get revenue by worrying about revenue. We need leading indicator KPIs. We need to figure out our smart activity, like how many dials, how many emails, how many emails, how many meetings per week. We've got to have kind of back out into the raw materials of our funnel. Right, right by that virtue, no matter how much of a risk taker I am, uh, there's always going to be a need to understand the metrics and the activities that are going into this. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I've worked with some very process-driven teams where sometimes the process will literally bog down the efforts. And that's why I'm a very results-driven manager. It's like, if you're getting out there, if you want to just use email, fine. You're going to send a lot of email. Right. When you use the phone, maybe it's more aggressive, but you also have to be smart about an omni-channel approach. So, you know, I can, I can say I've been nicknamed the machine just because of how fast <laughs> I use so many different tech platforms at once. I mean, a digital native, I had a T1 line in 93 when I was 13. My brother's a coder. Yeah. Cool. So I've, I'm really... I'm facile. I'm very like fluent in all the platforms and I use them all. I test them all constantly. And so that's been a huge edge in what my book's about technology quotient. Cause I just believe, you know, you can't stop the rain. You can't stop the sequence of companies, whether it's a sequence of cadence of play, whether you're using outreach or sales loft or Zant or HubSpot right. sales loft, like you got to use some kind of next level tech. You really in the area of era of 2020, you should not be sitting sending emails one at a time and making dials one at a time. And you're, you're giving the competitor an edge. Yeah, I think that's fantastic stuff. And I think that ability to pivot and leverage technology, I think your words were to create consumer human impact, right? And to, to clone your abilities. What are some of those things that you've done to leverage that tech in a multi-channel approach? Like you said, no one thing is going to work all the time. So how can we leverage that tech smarter? Yeah, I think the biggest move is from individually sending emails or just sending a batch of email to planning what the emails will be. And then, you know, sending sequences, the problem right off the bat is that you're going to kind of feel generic. It's like, oh, well, these are the right thousand contacts and they're kind of all in media or technology. So right. they're all going to respond to this message. I'm going to send all thousand people this message of five to 12 touches. And this is great because this is what I would have done in an analog. And now it's going to sure. work. The problem is we've got 250 vendors in their box sending emails that day. Hope you're doing well. Just reaching out. I mean all these hackneyed phrases that are just stale and all you've done is just increase the noise levels. Yep. And so it's almost a counter school talking about how your, your kind of your journey was to say, you know, I'm not really the VP of sales. It's process heavy. It's not really for me. I found a, a lot of really a lot of power in just, you know, quick researching someone's LinkedIn profile, super personalizing the message, reaching out in like little human, almost text message ways, using exotic platforms like, you know, WhatsApp or, mm -hmm to a degree not the first touch but deeper in the funnel so yeah. you know i think these platforms that actually scale us though is the ability to go one to many but still keep it personalized absolutely so how do you balance a little bit of the old school and the new school you know i think that the division of labor between the sdr and the ae kind of started us down that path right uh, when that really you know when i first started in sales that wasn't a thing you know pretty much everybody was full cycle and you were doing everything. And then you started to see SaaS companies break that out. How can we make the SDR seem a little bit more human so that we're not putting people off and then helping create better relationships on the AC on the AE side? Yeah. So you're tapping into a lot of the themes of the book and uh, the book's really interesting because as I've brought on teams and built sales development orgs or just built divisions as a regional vice president, I've done this for a few companies now. Um, uh, you know, that's a, a really big uh, question. I mean, um, drill, will you drill into that real quick as, as far as like how it pertains to your theme? I, just, I would love one more sub question on that. Yeah, for sure. So as we look at, you know, the, the metrics are a, necess a necessity, right? You're basically talking about if you, if you ever went to Sandler training through, at all through your, through your years of wisdom and growth, you heard about the cookbook, right? So backing into how many calls you need to make, 
how much this you need to do to do this, you know, really setting up that, that metric driven funnel. So how much of that should we be expecting to put on the SDR now versus the AE? And what does that handoff point look like or what should it look like now? Yeah. So you're talking about role design. I mean, the SDA, SDR, AE industrial complex, I call it, I'm the only person I think who says that. So I have funny term, but then I call it the Cambrian explosion of vendors. So you have like 200 CMOs in the fortune 1000 that'll buy marketing technology. And those 200 haven't changed. There's 234 vendors that sold to them a certain MarTech in like 2002. Well, now there's 7,200 in Loomiscape that sell to those same 200. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's almost less CMOs and their tenures are really fast. And so, um, you have to have a mixture of old school and new school to break through. Um, my mentor in Australia wrote a book called Combo Prospecting. He'd be a great guest on the show, Tony J. Hughes. The whole thesis there was for a full cycle field seller who's got a phone, an email account, some different data sources. Um, the sales floor has sort of become silent, right? When I go into actual organizations and uh, you know, look around at what's happening, the first thing you notice is like no one's making calls. Sure. So you asked a question earlier about integrating automation and sequencing with old school tactics. One Absolutely. of the things you can see is if you're sending messages in mass, you can start, it fire, fires a pixel with a link, like mm-hmm. hyper small embedded. So an outreach the sales loft and groove, you can see how many times they open. You just think logically three times, it's probably like, ah, they opened it, they deleted it, right? right? Four though, maybe they forward it five, six, seven. I mean, something's happening with that email. It's like watching a fish hit the hook, right? Absolutely. Well, the best thing to do on that is not to just send another email, it's to pick up the phone and say, hey, like, uh, right. like, frankly, I see you opening my email a ton of times. Shouldn't we be talking? Are there questions you have? Like, are you interested? You just like hate the email and don't want to talk, right? The Sandler approach I have gone yep. through training, but that radical candor of like, I hate doing cold emails. Sounds like you hate to get them. Is that <laughs> open? Is it, you're seven times more angry at me? Like something like that. It's funny, right? And they'll tell oh, you. Oh man, I love it. You could say, you know, you could use the signals from the mass sequencing, or you could use the signals from social people looking at your profile or liking or commenting on your, your things you curate and you share. Like if someone sh- comments on this post, maybe they're interested in uh, elements of business development or retargeting yeah. aspect of, I mean, you know, I'll, ne- I'll never forget. I do these daily sales videos every day. I do a video and I'm talking to this hotel chain and they want to do retargeting. And he goes, well, you hustle, man. You just hustle. It's inspiring. I want to take a meeting. And he wanted to take a meeting about a retargeting solution because he'd seen these videos. And the reason I picked sales and B2B is just something I, I've had to you know, really study to understand. And I can just go forever, as you can see. Yeah, no, I love it. So talk to me a little bit. You, 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 you scratched the surface there on the social concept, right? And you know, I certainly, you know, it sounds like you maybe embrace those types of things sooner than I did, given that we're the same age. You know, I was always very reluctant to social. I don't have a personal Facebook. I did at one time. I got rid of it. Um, I don't have Instagram or anything like that. And then about a year ago, I said, you know what, I'm going to build a social you know, profile for myself professionally, which I do on LinkedIn. And I've committed to it, like fully committed to it over the past year. And I've, I've definitely like yourself reaped some rewards from that. So you, t- you scratch the surface a little bit there on, on m- making that a multi-channel approach though, right? Just the fact that you're posting doesn't mean action is going to happen. So talk to me about integrating that as a part of your outbound efforts. Social selling is such a long game in brand building, right? Mm -hmm. You have to go and post every single day and be committed to like your analytics looking really low or low views or low likes. And it's just about consistency uh, over time. It is not a push button strategy. And that's why I always advocate you have to have phone, use lead IQ, 
get zoom info, get a data source with cell phone numbers. It might be yep. 20 to 30% bad data. It doesn't matter. You suddenly have 70 more percent chance got more. of phone numbers. Yeah. Just, just buy data, get yep. AI, get in there and don't rely fully on social, but use it for targeting with your relevance, right? Take 30 seconds, look at a profile. I mean, geez, just look at the profile. Like I'm not going to sell you leads or lead MD. You are at lead MD. Like people call me all the time to sell me retargeting or something I already sell when you just right. make your head explode. Cause you're kind of like, wait, Come I on, do this. Take a look. You're my competitor. Like do like a dumb chills <laughs> test. Like, whoop, oh yeah. At least have the right prospects. It's so funny. Like even with like a three second count of looking at a lead list one by one, you will have such a better list than just, you know, batch dumping or buying a list. Right. Um, yeah. There's so much to talk about. I got my wind chimes going. Um, well, let's, let's double click on something there because, you know, you mentioned the social selling aspect being a part of the long game. And I, you know, one of the things I pride myself in my career is long game, right? I've, I've had two fairly long stints at two organizations, uh, six years and six years this month at LeadMD. That's amazing. And I don't know that a lot of people have that ability to look that long, right? Especially when the metrics are, are barreling down on your back. So how do you balance that long game with the need to have pipeline now and show those things to your boss? Yeah. So I've really cut my teeth on being able to get a dramatic result very rapidly. And the way I have done this is to use things like trigger events and social engineering to say, let's look at your deadwood at the deals that have fallen through. Let's look at the customers that have previously purchased and let's go map them across LinkedIn and go get in touch with people that understand your stack bought before and can champion our technology now. And so there's always the long game of that's a six month, eight months. Well, I remember leaving companies and you know, fortune 1000 deal closed. I hear about it. I kicked it off. I did that deal. I'm yep. forward. And then it's, that's almost a question of tenure. You know, you have to balance sort of the average tenure of, of uh, sales reps is quite short. Same with SDRs, same with CMOs. I always admire when someone's been with the company five or six years, it's always my intention too. But as you can see in these turbulent times, um, it's really just how much, um, you know, ebb and flow of, of jobs there are. So I've always endeavored to just, you know, give my all. Um, as far as long game, I've actually had prospects that have come in because I've stayed in mobile marketing as a niche like mm -hmm. five, six years ago, cultivated a relationship for years. And then finally I'm selling the right product and I just do a quick deal. But, but the, the building of that trust took years and that's really a branding exercise. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's one of the things that regardless of who I'm talking to, you know, you may get on a, say, say an SDR set you up with a, a discovery call. Right. And you look at that and like you said, maybe they didn't do the, the three second, you know, dummy check on it. And you can tell right away that it's not someone that's going to be buying anything from you or, or anything in the next 30, 60, 90 days. But my philosophy has always been what you just said. Let's take that call. Let's run a clean cycle. Let's add as much value as we possibly can because they may not be a buyer for me today, but it could happen, you know, five, six years from now. And to, to your point there, I've seen that come full circle. The very first lead I ever talked to my first day at LeadMD I sold on my fifth anniversary. Like That's so cool. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. that mentality is going to breed more positivity. And I'm a big fan of that. Like just let's treat everybody really well and let's make those calls valuable for somebody. And, and yeah, philosophy. I'm, I take like a do gooder approach like Amelie because my network now is 27,000 people and the cap is 30,000. I have to prune mm -hmm. soon. I have the same amount of followers. I have like 5,000 more on Twitter. 
right. is, you know, I do a lot of matchmaking. It's like, there's all these user acquisition experts that are always moving around companies looking for new jobs. And I just am constantly like meeting with them between jobs, helping them get other jobs and just paying it forward. Just trying to like first serve and help my prospect base because it's such a unique niche and that's come back full circle all the time. I've helped people get awesome roles. Companies love me for that. They do business with me for that. So, um, what I'm describing is kind of two parallel approaches. It's almost a holding a paradox. Mm -hmm. It's like I am one of the world's biggest proponents on automation because I was also involved in a startup that built sales development automation called Outbound Works with the co-founder yep. of Datanize, where we ran automated sales development, full-blown automation with personalization to 100 concurrent SaaS startups. Yep. And then I've also worked for the leading mobile attribution analytics and marketing automation, Salesforce LinkedIn, just Sean Parker project. So I've actually just had to hold both of these in parallel. And that's what I tell people is bridge group says you can work 200 accounts a quarter, build a Google sheet of your top yep. 200 dream accounts. And then you take 50 that you're just going to white glove approach printed mail. I mean, in, in the former environment to Corona, you would meet with them in person, bring them right. to VIP events. But now it's like, you're going to handhold and hyper-personalize these top 50. And even if you want to use a sequencer, you could have snippets and you can have personalization elements where like, I read your quote, I read your article on this and, and yep. through this assumption, it's going to take time on these 50 accounts. Absolutely. The rest, tier two, tier three, that's where you get into semi-automation and then full-blown automation. Yeah, I love it. I think that there, it just goes back to the old adage that there's no easy button, there's no silver bullet, and it it's all takes some sort of elbow grease to, to really get it done. And the fact that you've recognized and really put in market this parallel approach, I think people should just take that to heart and say, listen, I'm not going to just flip a switch and be, have this massive pipeline. There is work that has to be done. It doesn't matter what the sales cadence that your marketing team puts in for to be the artist, not just going to pump out a bunch of high qualified sales conversations. It's true. So just to like spice this up, I, I, uh, I was, I was working on this book with Tony J Hughes is my co-writer from combo prospecting the Joshua principle. He's really well known in, in uh, Sydney as a bestseller in Australia. It's always been hard for the Australian sales authors to come here. And so I like pre-released this book. You'll see, I put it in the big shared Google talk. I got hundreds of people in there. I got Aaron Ross in there. Just so honored yeah. people, Mary Lou Tyler, some of the like most amazing people. And a lot of the executives in the big sequencer companies are checking it out. And I'm bringing people to the forum saying, I don't want this to be a two horse race. There's these other 25 companies. There's this third one, InsideSales.com pivoted to Zant. They're doing mm -hmm. predictive. You can imagine if you go to a prospect's profile in one of these and it says, it's going to take six activities to open this meeting. You know, she prefers two calls, an in-mail, a voicemail, and then the average ACV for is 25K. I mean, they have all this anonymized data. It's, it's wow. pretty amazing. So the first thing that happens is like the old guard, and I don't mean the old guard by like their age or ageism, but the no. people who are like anti-technology are like, you are John Connor, this is Skynet, the world is ending, like it is illegal, <laughs> immoral, unethical what you are saying to do. Right. Like I did it three years ago, GDPR compliant, CCPA compliantly, Catholic compliantly. Yep. Give me another standard, then all opt out, all you know, fully compliant, then. Um and the, and the world is, is changing, but I've always been about small batch, personalized opt-out links, getting um, data from B2B sources that are verified. Like one company has just the floor of like 300 people calling businesses and getting their business email and their business, you know, contacts, and right. lines, and this stuff's all being collected above board and done in a good fashion. Truth be told, it's B2B sales, right? Like there's millions of small businesses outbound prospecting. It's the engine of the economy. We can't mm -hmm. like 
have so much regulation around reaching out that we can't do business anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's really interesting. So I don't, I'm not exactly sure how they, exactly how they pull it off in Canada, but I think it's like if someone has expressed interest, then you can contact them. So there's just yeah. one step up there. Well, I think now what we're dealing with, you know, with coronavirus is it's, it's very similar to that. Right now we're putting another layer of sensitivity on top of outbound. You know, some people seem to be getting shamed or whatnot for lack of sensitivity. And I do agree. You have to, you know, use your head. Don't be overly insensitive about what's going on. Don't just say, hey, man, you want to take a meeting. But acknowledge, maybe inject some levity. But at the end of the day, we have to keep commerce alive. And to you said, if outbounds the engine of the economy, we need to keep working. Like we can't just put a pause on our lives. I mean, I don't want to get kicked out of my house in a year, you know, yeah, we keep working. It's true. So it's like, I think we keep dialing, we keep all the channels outbound, but we go with a little empathy, we mm -hmm. humanize a little more. It's almost the opposite of challenger, right? Instead of mm -hmm. bashing in and pushing them to switch from the competitor. I think the first thing to do is just, you know, how are you, what's going on? with you as a person, with your business, do you just want to talk to me? Because here yeah. I am on a phone. You know, it's actually really refreshing just to talk to someone. I mean, we're all like sort of locked down into our homes. Um, although I have a very nice uh, garden here. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, so I have not gone either way. I've just held the course with almost a neutral stance. It's like I, I continue to do quality business development that is personalized, is tailored targeted, with social proof, I tell stories about the things working with similar clients need to help my network. And right. uh, a big thing like Josh Braun, you should interview him. He mm -hmm. talks about deposits withdrawals. I mean, there's reciprocity, the chill thing, right? I guess uh, the Hare Krishna's used to bump into people in airports and give them a flower and then they would get donations. And so that was outlawed. Okay. JD Power and Associates, they send you a dollar in the mail and you have this horrible long form thing you have to fill out. Now right. everybody feels guilty. They took the dollar and they do it. Right. Reciprocity. $100 for the work, right? So one of the things you need to, to build is like an ebook or a guide or some piece mm -hmm. of consultative content that you can give out as an education step as a part and parcel of these sequences. Could be a webinar right now. Yeah. And this becomes the give to get the deposit so you can make the withdrawal. Meaning now other authors talk about the first commitment. I mean, this whole idea that there's openers and closers. I mean, if you can't close for time, the first commitment, there's no way you're getting through a three month legal procurement cycle and <laughs> closing a seven figure three year commit. Yeah, for sure. So it's interesting, it comes back a little bit uh, when you talk about the deposits and withdrawals. I've been doing this internal series, I'm sharing it externally, but interviewing all of our consultants, right? You know, we have a team, we're a marketing company, we sell marketing. So I've been interviewing a lot of our different consultants and just asking them to provide an actionable tip for things that companies can be doing to pivot their strategies right now. And uh, a woman named Jamie Kermis, Sharp Lady, she's a principal on our team. And she said, rethink your offers, right? And don't think of them as sales offers, but think of them as educational offers. As an example, if you're a, a company that sells into the financial services industry, put together an educational offer to help people understand how this is financially impacting them, maybe them as a person, how it may be impacting their business, you know, that type of thing, to start to build up that bank of goodwill. It's not going to be a deal today or tomorrow, but that is one of those things from a marketing standpoint that you could do to start to build that goodwill in the marketplace. I thought that was really powerful. Yeah, I think that's absolutely great advice. I mean, you need the material not to be, oh, it's educational and marketing, then you open it up, it's just a product demo. Like it really right. should give away value. And I also really, um, it, it's rare because I'm a proponent of like 
what was called the intelligence close. I like to play up to the intelligence. I like to assume that you know something about your industry. Right. And I like to create content that does have some jargon, that does like celebrate what you know, and here's how we're going to build upon it. And if I generate some gaps for you, because it's a little bit, I don't know, a little bit complex. I mean, we're in the, the age of the niche, you know? Right. So I've actually found that by playing up to the intelligence of my community and my prospects, they appreciate this. And then my book is written in this way. You know, I, I, uh, it is not a simple book, but it's not simple. All the tech companies, I mean, you've seen Dave Delaney from 10 pounds map. It looks like mm -hmm. a Lumiscape. There's like hundreds of tech vendors right. and only some of them talk to each other. And then there's a bunch of vendors that have bi-directional APIs that fire so they can talk, but then no one talks to LinkedIn because LinkedIn is closed. <laughs> because the minute you start to fully automate LinkedIn, they're going to, you're going to lose the C levels. It's already yep. spammy enough. We get connecting pitches all day. So stop Brutal. connecting pitching. If someone does connect with you, just imagine bumping into them at a bar. Would you really just say, Oh, hi, here's my business card. Oh, hi. You want to buy retargeting? No, absolutely. Yeah. It's one of the most frustrating things on the platform for sure. It makes no sense, but it's a weird digital glitch where everyone's habituate, habituated with like, Oh, finally, my prospect from Coca-Cola. Hey, you want to buy retargeting? Well, you know, everyone's going to ask them that. So just be human. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, that concept of speaking to the intelligence of your audience, I like that a lot because at the end of the day, if you think about it, if you're acknowledging the fact that they know something, they're doing something, they're not just, you're not just going to solve all their problems, right? You're not this magic bullet solution that's going to come in and save them. Not, not everybody needs to be saved when they do identify with you and the problem statements that you're making, if you are speaking to them in that way, the chances of them being more qualified are better. Right? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in different qualification methodologies, but what you're really looking for is a compelling event, a compelling reason. That's the, mm -hmm. the piece that is missed the most. I mean, you have Bant, budget, authority, need, timeline, you have medic. I won't even define the acronym. There's so many acronyms you could have. Right. For me, it's like budget, timeline, compelling event, success criteria. You understand their organization. All these systems are saying the same thing. Right. 3% like of the market is in the buying window and 40% of the market's willing to switch. It was like Chet Holmes, Steve Richard talks about the statistics come out. Now, during coronavirus, probably less than 3% are in the market maybe right. two or 1%, but that 40% entertaining swishing, they'll look at the intent. They'll check out your product and they're probably sensitive to a cold pitch. So yeah. like, there's still some market. And then somewhere in the 3% is like a white hot center of like zoom video communications where they're just taking off the game Crazy. because yeah. they're facilitating what we're doing right now. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. So if we revisit that concept of personalization one more time, there was this, I have another dialogue with our CMO actually, and why do people go to events, right? Like you, if you're, if everyone's going through this process right now of, oh my gosh, our event was canceled, we're going to hold our event digitally. And now you're getting peppered with all these digital vending meals. And if you take a step back and think about why do people actually attend your event? There's probably one of two groups. There's the group of users who are there for education and community. And then there's this group of executives who is really who you want, right? Because you're trying to sell them something new, sell them something more, whatever it is. And why do they go? They go for one of two reasons. One, you probably promise them some sort of kick-ass experience. Or two, the higher you get in an organization, the lonelier it gets because you have less people that you can relate to. 
So they're trying to get in contact with those people that are like them, that are, that are being faced with the same problems day in and day out and don't have those peers within their organization. So how can you facilitate that type of thing now, you know, those executive experiences in an online digital way to get them networked with the people to help them solve some of their problems? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I've been really pushing hard on the CEOs of the tech companies that had to all cancel their events, even before mm-hmm. things got on lockdown of like, not only do you have to hold events, but make them better. You know, I go to events because there's a very high conversion if I've met someone face to face. And a lot of times of the prospects never answer digitally. And the only way I've ever met them is being at these very mobile specific events. And that's yeah. great. I've told the promoters, look, here's the problem. You log into the stat of events, even when someone's watching this podcast, they can be doing their email and looking on their Blackberry and no one yep. else is Blackberry, but it's just funny that way. You're old, man. Yeah, I'm old. I'm <laughs> Blackberry curve. <laughs> so they have to do something where the talking heads on the screen, like Zoom, where the chat about the subject and the talking heads are going like, oh, hey, caller in Austin or hey, in right. like, good point like what we're doing right now it has to become more of a dialogue that's pulling in those virtual people and then they'll be more highly engaged so honestly there's an opportunity here for coding either enhancement to zoom for great webinars mm-hmm. but like yeah webinar technology sucks because it's built passively to broadcast something that literally if you place a chat in it just the people like a teleprompter almost are seeing it and there's some reaction points where they stop and they take questions on linkedin live is actually great um great tech for this i think yeah. that's the way all of it should look because there's this like huge commentary like jake dumlap's looking mm-hmm. on the side and he's being like oh yeah that's a great point yep yeah i know it's, i've been i've been watching him on it a little bit and it's it is pretty cool it's it's an opportunity for people to engage one-on-one it's funny you know we we're we're chastising the broadcast industry for not being personal for just a, a, a batch approach of hey listen to me listen to me listen to me but then when it comes to our own digital marketing efforts we to your point, we run a webinar and we talk for 45 minutes and then maybe take five minutes of Q&A at the end. It's, it's the same exact thing, just under a different medium. That's true. Yeah, um, virtual events need to improve. Um, they did studies long ago for WebEx and GoTo that having your face on the camera uh, vastly, I think it's like 30 or 40% more likelihood to create an opportunity. And that's just because of the face-to-face neuroscience of being able to read that person, establish trust. And that's just right. like the phone too, like the tonality. So I think these me- mediums will improve. I think in the future we'll see holo- like holograms. I think cell phones are going to go away, which is ironic because I'm in mobile. Huh. I always promise the companies like, don't worry, we'll still be able to serve ads. Basically right. sensors, holographs, more like, you know, Princess Leia and Star Wars <laughs> where there's sensors everywhere. You go to your fridge and there's like a holograph of a... Right. Of a recipe that just appears. That's that'd uh, be cool. Amazing. Hopefully, we all have a droid too. Yeah, that would be very helpful, like a little sales droid. Like that'd be pretty you know, sick. They'll be do. They'll do all your outbound automated prospecting. I'm still here. Um, all right, perfect. Well, listen, we've got about ten minutes left. I want to give you an opportunity to talk anything more about the book or anything more about your business that you want to do. You got it. Yeah. So. Um, Technology quotient, you know, the idea here is that you have IQ and you have EQ, but you have to figure out how to upskill yourself on technology and to educate yourself. So if you're not a coder and you're not a technologist yourself, there's an opportunity to learn like a a meta framework and a meta skill set. Hold on. Oh, you're fine. Sorry about that. No problem. Yeah, so um, 
I co-wrote the book with Tony J. Hughes from Combo Prospecting and the Joshua Principle. And I am really just looking for feedback feedback now. I mean, this usually takes four to six months to get it to the publisher. And uh, we just decided to release it early because there's a lot of people who have been in the field. Like I was traveling 75% of the time. And now I have to figure out how to programmatically drive a ton of business right. without ever leaving my house. And I've got like a kind of scared prospect base. So I have to change the way I personalize, the way I reach out. And I really have to dust off the sequencer because I don't have enough time to like slowly and methodically rely on dinners and events and parties right. to kind of pull this stuff in. I have to actually be everywhere now and it's going to be harder for me to kick off the cycle. So I want to be using my LinkedIn sales navigator to generate lists, redraw my patches. I'm going to go worldwide find yep. people in the buying window now, use the sequences, use personalization, use lead IQ. So I have direct emails, make sure I have the right, you know, trigger triggers and signals for personalization in the systems and just really optimize my stack. And that's what makes it so relevant for right now. Fantastic. Love it. So I, I have a copy of that. I'll get you some feedback on it as well. That would be great. I appreciate you sending it over and uh, that'll be awesome. So any, any last words on, you know, the mobile universe, what's going on right now, your business, your sales team, yeah, I think it's all about empathy selling, realizing that we're human first, setting prospects at ease. There's almost a counter trend that don't go too hard on Corona and COVID-19 because that's mm -hmm. like now becoming a resounding sameness. It just Absolutely. keeps creating value and focusing on, you know, being respectful of businesses that are going down like the restaurant industry for a minute, hit pause, mm -hmm. you know, redraw your verticals, redraw your messaging, rethink your data strategy and go in with a little more finesse. So when you see these mega templates with the bullet points hitting right now, it's just sort of like tone deaf, right? But they yeah. scheduled that two, three weeks ago. It's almost of not course. their fault. Um, think about webinars and events. Think about ways that you can do something like a virtual happy hour over Zoom. Uh, think about content that gives away real value where they would pay for this thing and you give it for free and you're yep. walking them up a ladder engagement. And by virtue of that uh, deposit you, you made, you get to withdraw their time. That's all Josh Braun. I, he's actually training someone on my team, which is awesome. So oh, I, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, go get his um, badass B2B growth guide. It's worth the investment. You can go to his site and buy the thing. Perfect. Um, what else can I say? I just think we eventually will see sales development and the SDR AE industrial complex broken and the okay. top funnel will go away because we will reach a level of um, natural language processing like Google duplex where a, a robot, an artificial intelligence can make a phone call. Right. We'll get to a level where the personalization is so good. You can just load in the targets, the target addressable market, the ICP, the personas, and then it just does it for you. But the beauty is SDRs aren't going to go away. The millions of sellers, we are either going to be the analysts and the sales engineers right. programming all this technology. So start learning it now. Yep. Or we're just going to have that tech hand us qualified appointments. And from there, we're going to have to be the, the creative discovery. Build relationships and yeah. go through that process. And scope and understand how tech configurations fit, fit together. So I feel like sales in general is going to move closer to a sales engineer and SDR is going to move closer to a data analyst or data scientist is my big prediction toward 2035 as we reach full automation. This is still pre-singularity, but this is just, I think, how quickly this tech can progress. I really like that. You know, I'll leave with this. And, you know, it's one of the things that I've said for a long time because I've actually never sold software. I've always sold services. Yeah. <clears throat> so in a world when, you know, your get as a software rep, and I've sold to and through software reps for, for, for over a decade now. So I, I do get their world, but 
there's always that hook for the demo, right? Because you fundamentally believe some, you have something that somebody wants to see. Whereas if you don't have anything physically to sell, all you're left with is thinking about them and their business and what matters to them. Yeah. So that's the way we're forced to sell in a services-based business. And combining that with, I've always kind of played that sales engineering role with my software counterparts, right? At, at the Adobe's of the world and, the, and whatnot. So that's kind of that area where I think it, it gives people to your point there, start thinking to the, towards the future. Think as a sales engineer, think of a problem solver, think of, think of selling something when you don't have anything to sell. And it changes that conversation fundamentally once you do get somebody on the hook. The big thing I would say, if you want to be irresistible and irreplaceable in this economy, if we do have a recession here, depending on the stimulus, mm-hmm. learn the tools, be an expert in sales tools. Because if you're going up against another candidate who's just going to pound the phone yep. and can't explain what they do, and you could say, I'm a, you know, I've mastered the new paradigms of sales loft and outreach. And you know, I get the modern sales tech stack and I can scale myself to almost superhuman potential. Like I'm worth five FD or 10 FD. And like, you're going to stay on the Island. Like yep. <laughs> survivor, agree more. other people are going to get voted off. So I'm going to say now's the time to know this stuff because virtually all the, co- the companies have invested in some tech. They have, oh, yeah. if you come in as a specialist, you can play in the sales ops world. I've done sales operations roles where all I'm doing is building reporting all day in Salesforce or setting up, um, you know, different type of data strategy. So it's kind of amazing what knowing these tools well can do for you as far as a career protection standpoint, which I think is hyper relevant right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, Justin, listen, this has been an awesome conversation. I appreciate you taking some time. Um, Where can people find you just on LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm just under Justin Michael on LinkedIn. Uh, My new book is Technology Quotient or TQ. All you have to do is add me on LinkedIn, shoot me a quick message, and I'll share the book with you. Right now, it's a living, breathing document because I want to find the most advanced practitioners of this modern sales tech right now. I I want to include all those tech, all the technology, all the startups in this document and have a ton of like really advanced 2.0 strategies. I'm sure this book will be relevant for like six months, but what I'm trying to do is step back and make it a meta framework so that you can upskill on tech now or even in 2030. So that is, that is my goal. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, you bet, man. Nice to have you.